So our scripture lesson is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship." created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good morning to you. And again, thank you for your prayers. Before we start, let us thank our God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord that we're able to gather with your saints, to look into your word, to glean from it, to learn from it, and to enjoy it. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we look into the fourth of the five points of Calvinism, it's always good to hear a little review to refresh our memories. The first point was total depravity, which countered the Arminians' free will. The Calvinist believes that man is totally depraved due to the fall, whereas the Arminian believes that we are only partially depraved and still have that self-determination for us to either choose or not. The second point is unconditional election, which countered conditional election. Here, the Calvinist believes that election is entirely up to God who chose his elect before the foundation of the world. Man has no conditions. The Armenian believes that our election is conditioned upon man's good works, repentance and faith in Christ. In other words, man has to act first, not God. The third point was limited atonement where Christ died only for those whom the Father gave him to be the bride. And there was no injustice. The Arminian's universal atonement believes God loves all persons equally and alike. The Arminian insists that it, 
that was the shed blood, was accomplished for all mankind indiscriminately. Now to the fourth point. Irresistible grace, which counters the Arminian point, obstructible grace or resistible grace. Isn't it providential that we come to look at the irresistible grace of our Lord on Pentecost Sunday. Isn't God good? The Armenian believes that it is the will of God that all men should be saved, but his will can be resisted by men since each has the faculty of self-determination, since God loves all men indiscriminately, He woos all men with his Holy Spirit, seeking to draw them to faith in Christ. The external call of the gospel is accompanied by universal sufficient grace, but it will not be found irresistible to all men, but it can be obstructed by man's free will. The Calvinist insists that salvation is based upon the free will of God, and since God is omnipotent, his grace cannot be resisted. As we look back on the way the Lord worked in my own life, as he changed my stony heart into one that was as clay, being manipulated and shaped as he willed, I was resisting like crazy and fought tooth and nail, but God cannot be resisted as I stand here living proof. So, if you have a loved one that you have been praying for, for years or for such a long time, keep praying. Don't give up. Because if they are one of the elect, it will happen. Many have seen this already. It's called irresistible grace. Remember we defined grace coming from the Greek word cherish, translated into the New Testament. The basic meaning of the word is unmerited favor. It is something that God does for man, which man does not merit or deserve by any stretch of the imagination. If man deserves what he gets from God, he has earned it. Works earns rewards, but he who has no works to condition God's favor must cry out for grace. Remember what Paul says in Romans 4, verses 4 and 5, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. Since faith is the gift of God and not of works, it is an act of grace or unmerited favor on the part of God. Think about this. If the work of faith is man's works, then God is indebted to him. However, if faith is God's work and God's gift to man, 
then man possesses absolutely no condition in himself that merits salvation as a reward. Remember, listen to what uh, it says in 2 Timothy 1.9 about the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Another thought. What do we mean when us Calvinists speaks of irresistible grace? Let's look at the answer in the negative first. It does not mean that God does violence to man's spirit by forcing him to do something he does not want to do. Let's take Judas. He didn't force Judas to do what he did. Judas acted freely according to the good pleasure of Satan, his master, by doing what his dead human spirit, his sin-corrupted soul, dictated he should do. Which is precisely why Christ, knowing whom he had chosen to be with him, day after day, during his three and a half years of public ministry, chose Judas. So Judas, without coercion, fulfilled the will of God. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's from Acts 2, 22 and 23. Irresistible. When used of the grace of God toward his elect means that God of his own free will, gives life to whom he chooses. Since the living human spirit, which is born of God, finds the living God wholly irresistible, just as dead human spirit finds the God of the dead, or Satan, wholly irresistible, the Lord quickens, or makes alive, all whom he chose in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. It is the gift of the new nature which makes us find Jesus Christ absolutely irresistible. A hog, because of his very nature, loves to wallow in the muck and the mire, while the lamb, because of its very nature, disdains mud wallowing, Dead in trespasses and sins, the unregenerate wallow in sin and unbelief because it is their nature to do so. Yet when God gives his elect, who are in the direct object of his love, a new nature, old things pass away and all things become new. The new nature which is a living human spirit, 
a new creation in Christ, finds God as irresistible as his formerly dead human spirit once found the devil irresistible. Let me give you a recent example. Our Right to Life group recently had a rally right here at this church. The speaker that we had was a perfect example of someone wallowing in the muck and the mire of Planned Parenthood and the world. After many years, the Lord started to change that stony heart into one of clay. As the Lord started to mold the clay, her eyes began to see things differently. She had a new nature and soon found the things of God irresistible. That dead spirit had become a living spirit of God. The Arminian, however, insists that the omnipotent God can be obstructed in his will to save all men by the puny, impotent will of any individual. In other words, the Holy Spirit himself is rendered impotent to impart life if it is the pleasure of the sinner to reject Christ and resist the drawing of the Spirit of God. Believers, this is contrary to the words of Jesus. John 5.21 For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom He pleases. Nowhere does the Bible say that man chooses eternal life of his own will. Scripture states that Whoever the Father gives to his dear Son shall, uh, shall come, because it is his will that they come. John six thirty-seven and 38, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Did you notice the irresistible grace in that verse? Those the Father gives will come. That was our call to worship earlier. There just has to be a little logical thinking when it comes about the, uh, comes about the will of God. Remember when Pastor was in Daniel... And King Nebuchadnezzar was made to eat grass like an ox. Just after being restored, he, Nebuchadnezzar, realized the mighty power of God. He confesses in Daniel 4.35, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does nothing according to his will. And he does according to his will, I'm sorry. Among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay or his, stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Irresistible. Let's talk a little bit about the chain of command. 
Or maybe that's not the best words to use. Uh, maybe it's a power structure is a better example. We have the will of Satan, the most powerful creature that God ever created. As the arch enemy of God and far more powerful than man, who was created a little lower than the angels, though Satan is nevertheless far less powerful than God. Why, you may ask? God has very strict limitations on what he will allow him to do. Recorded in Job, it's a number if of examples of the boundaries established by the Lord that Satan could not cross as he persecuted Job. So, even though Satan may well be more powerful than even the holy angels, he is not omnipotent like God, neither he is he omniscient nor omnipresent like God. In other words, he has a second-rate power. Man has a third-rate power. He is not able to resist Satan because his will is inferior to the will of the devil. So, how is Satan, or this is how Satan ensnares those who are lost at his will. Because without the Holy Spirit, we are in an inferior power who cannot resist the most powerful creature God ever made. Those are dead in their trespasses and sins are, gov are governed by the counter plan of the evil one. Now, let's, this is where we get into the text of today's scripture. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were or are children of wrath, wills bound and irresistibly drawn to the God of the dead, unless the God of the living sees fit to give them the gift of life and faith. The reprobate non-elect are never seen as objects of the saving love of God. Only the elect whom the Father willed to give his Son as a bride are ever spoken of as beloved of the Lord. I won't weary you by pointing out that his love was not based on some fancied condition of good in us. Yeah, well, <laughs> we were not saved because he foreknew of good work of faith resulting from our positive volition toward Christ. Why? That would put God in debt to sinful man. Now let's look at verses 4 through 7. 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ. There's how precious is that. It's all about the grace, the irresistible grace. Even the Armenian must realize that when he claims that the grace of God who wills that all men shall be saved can be resisted and rejected, he is stating that Jehovah is not omnipotent. He is claiming that man, remember a third-rate power, under the control of a second-rate power, has such fantastic free will that he can break the higher power of Satan and choose his way to heaven. Or maybe is it that the Heavenly Father is permissive and wills allow the objects of his great love to go to hell? if they so desire? Or is it that finite man can resist the first power of Jehovah, an omnipotent creator, because he, the third-rate power, is greater than God? This is crazy. Verses 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Man cannot come to Christ because man is bound by Satan. Man will not come because he finds Satan irresistible and Jehovah despicable. Man does not have a free will. He has a devil-bound will. However, man does not have the power to resist God should God will to save him. Remember, man only has third-rate power. He can't even resist his bad habits and the lust of the flesh. Man needs for God to draw him irresistible by his grace. Remember those words from John 6.44. No man can come to me except the Father who hath sent me draw him. Man is totally depraved being devoid of any inclination to good. He never once has a condition in and of himself which merits salvation. Therefore, he is unconditionally elected to be the recipient of life and faith. Christ did not die for all men, but only for those whom the Father chose of his 
own free will out of every nation and tribe upon the face of the earth. The dead in Christ and his precious blood were designed specifically for those whom God determined should come to his dear son in faith by means of his irresistible grace through the blessed Holy Spirit's gift of life. You see, God has a plan. And I want to close with this. Many of you are old enough to remember a television show that aired back in the early to mid-80s. The name of the show was The A-Team. These were an ad hoc group of four or five characters or so, ex-special forces from the Vietnam era, each having their own special talents. This group was called in after all else failed. They would get together and devise a plan to complete whatever task that was before them. Kind of a mission impossible theme. The so-called leader of this group was the oldest, Hannibal. But one of my favorite characters was B.A., or Mr. T. He hated flying, and they would have to secretly drug him and knock him out to get him on the plane. But he had a saying that would always crack me up. I pity the fool as he was a tough one. Anyway, at the end of the show, after their mission was a complete success, it would show them, usually at a bar, celebrating over a few brews, and patting themselves on the back and reminiscing on a job well done. And the leader, Hannibal, would always end the show with these words, puffing on a big stogie. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? My point is, God has a plan. And nothing, not you, nor I, can thwart His plan. And we should be grateful that we can't. Let us thank God for this irresistible grace. Now let's pray. Father and our God, we do thank you, Lord, for this irresistible grace. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your elect. We thank you, Lord, that you chose us before the foundation of the world, Lord. And there's nothing that we can do to thwart your plan. And we are thankful for that. So, Father... We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for all of this. In Christ's name, amen.